The scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. It can be found on page 891 in the Black Bibles. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, which is the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into this world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The word of the Lord. Mark, thanks for reading. Welcome, y'all. My name is John Trapp. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. It really is so good to have each one of you here. A special welcome if this is one of your first times to Christ the King. We really are glad to have you here with us. Um, this is kind of a busy day we've got on our hands. We are about to install Curtis Shields to be a pastor at Rice University. He's not coming onto our staff. He's actually being supported by our church and other churches um, like us to go and to be a pastor for the Rice University campus. And so we're going to install him as pastor uh, immediately following my sermon. And we are also welcoming six young ladies to come to the Lord's table today. Uh, we had four earlier in the first service, 10 kids. I think someone told me that's a record for us at Christ the King. So uh, really fun to have so many folks coming to the Lord's table and joining us there. And in God's providence, we've been, we've been preaching through the book of John. And I, I don't think it's um, any happenstance that we would have found ourselves on John chapter 6 as we are about to install a pastor to go um, bring God's word to a college campus and as we're about to receive a bunch of new kids to come and start coming to the Lord's table to be fed by him that we would find ourselves here in John 6 looking at Jesus offering us the bread that we need. So let's ask him now that he would help us as we study together. Let's pray. Lord, we do, um, we give you thanks that you have given us Uh, Father, all that we need in your son, Jesus, and we pray that you would help us now um, to see uh, how good he is for sinners like me, like all of us, um, and how he meets us in our need. Uh, We pray that you would help us to do that now, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Uh, if you've been here for the last year and a half since I started um, as the pastor here at Christ the King, you've heard me say this quote a couple times. It's from, it's, it's just one of my favorites. It's from a 19th century missionary named D.T. Niles, who was in Southeast Asia, actually um, not too far from where Curtis Shields, who we're about to install, was also a missionary for six years. Uh, D.T. Niles says this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he's found bread. And I want to dig into that quote a little bit more today because this miracle where Jesus is feeding a lot of people bread, in this miracle, I think he's teaching his disciples something. He's teaching them that they are beggars and that all of us are beggars. And I hope that by the end of this morning, you'll actually see that that's, that's really good news because I'm, I'm guessing if you're anything like me, that doesn't sound like good news to you. We don't like being beggars. In fact, when it comes to bread, most of us would rather be bakers than beggars. And I think that for, uh, if, we're, if we're honest, when it comes to uh, thinking about what it is that fulfills us, where we can find fulfillment, where we can find fullness and satisfaction, we'd rather bake up our own bread for that and not have to look somewhere else for that. But what I want you to see is um, in this, what we see in this passage is that whenever you bake and there's a scarcity of something, what's gonna come is anxiety. There's an, there can be an anxiety to baking. Um, but secondly, I want you to see that there is an abundance offered to us from begging. So that's two two-point sermon, quick sermon today. The anxiety of, of baking and second, the abundance of begging. Now, I want to be clear, when I talk about bread, I'm not talking about literal, baking literal bread. I'm talking about the bread, um, the way Jesus talks about it later in John chapter 6, the bread that gives us life, the bread that fills our emptiness, the bread that gives us everlasting satisfaction. There is anxiety in having to bake that kind of bread. In general, I am very pro-baking. I just want to be very clear on that, okay? I enjoy be people baking for me. It's a wonderful I'm for baking. In fact, the, the Trap family, we like watching lots of baking shows. One of our favorites is the great British baking show. And if you've watched that show, at the beginning of the show, you'll, you'll notice that the music is very different from how it is at the end of the show. At the beginning of the show, it's this very idyllic British setting, this beautiful tent, and it's very pleasant. And by the end of the hour, it's like there's flour going all over the place, and people are spilling things on the floor, and it is tense because there is a scarcity of time. Time is running out. They've got to get their decorations together and put it together before Paul Hollywood, he, he's going to rip into their baking. And here's the thing. Whenever there is scarcity in our baking, there is anxiety that is sure to follow. Anxiety is what certainly characterizes what we see in John chapter 6. All this ministry momentum is building, and the disciples are surely excited about that. Uh, in verse 2, we see that there's these people who have gathered more and more because they've seen these signs that Jesus has done. And as he's been doing this, more and more people are showing up. And now, with this growing ministry, there is a growing need. It's an overwhelming need, in fact. 
In verse 10, John tells us that there's 5,000 men and we can only surmise that there were also women and children at this. So likely 10 to 15,000 people gathered in this grassy field on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which by the way, there's not a lot of cities around there. It's kind of this desolate area. Not, not, not a quick place to go and find food if you need it. So there's this great need and they are low on resources. And this, if we're honest, this is how life often feels. So much need, so little time, so few resources. This is how parenting can feel. This is how work can feel. Curtis, this is how ministry can feel, as you know. It feels like you need to roll up your sleeves and get to baking because there's a lot of bread that's needed. But Jesus in this miracle is teaching his disciples and he's teaching us something about self-reliant baking and the anxiety that that brings. He's warning us about the anxiety of self-reliant living and particularly self-reliant ministry. And Jesus knows what he's doing. In verse five, it says, he asks Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? But then verse six gives us a little bit of insight into why Jesus is asking Philip this. Philip, who, by the way, is from that neck of the woods. Philip, who would know where to go get food. He's from around the northern shore of Galilee. Verse six tells us that Jesus is asking Philip this as a test. He already knows, Jesus knows what he's going to do. So here's Philip, and he's with Jesus, who we already know. Philip has seen Jesus bring 150 gallons of wine to a, wine, or to a wedding reception that ran out of wine. Philip has seen Jesus heal a man who was born lame. Jesus has healed a man who uh, was dying, an official's son. Jesus has done all these things, and Philip is with that person, and Philip does something that we all do in life and certainly in ministry. Philip looks right past Jesus, and he focuses on the problem. They don't have the resources to bake all that they need. He starts thinking like a baker. He starts doing math. What's, what are the ingredients we need? How many people are there? How much resources do we need? To go, do we need? And he, he's doing the math. He's like, there are 200 denarii, which is a, a day's wage for the working class in that day. So eight months worth of wages. Is, it, it's not even going to get close. That was terrible math. That's not eight months. Y'all will tell me later. <laughs> Seven months. Seven months of wages isn't going to be enough to even, if we were to all pull our resources and we were to buy it, it would only produce a tiny little bit of bread for each person. The need, this is a picture of what ministering and even living can feel like, where the need is too great, the resources are too limited, and even if you were to pool it all, all the resources, the impact would be far too small. Everyone just gets a couple crumbs. Isn't this how you feel about the things on your to-do list? Maybe it's how you feel about your resolutions already for the new year. There's too much need, too little resources, too little time, and even if I do, it's gonna make too small of an impact. This is how you can feel as a minister stepping onto the college campus. All these people that I want to see know Jesus, all these people who um, are lost, 
All these people who are hurting, who are suffering. This is how we can feel when we look at the world and all of the injustice and all that's happening. And we grieve that. And it can feel completely overwhelming. And even if we were to pool all of our resources, we can look at it and think, like, man, is it even going to make a difference? And for any Christian, this is how it feels when you think about trying to, trying to like, minister to other people. So if you're not a Christian, let's just listen in on, on this for a second. <laughs> um, when you're a Christian and you have a baking mindset, like I need to bake this bread, I need to figure this out on, myself, on my own, this is, this is the kind of ministry that that can produce. First off, it can produce an obsession with procedures and programs and techniques to get a certain kind of result. Like if we can just do this certain kind of methodology or program, or if we can train people to say this certain kind of thing when they're sharing the gospel or they're sharing their faith with somebody, then that will be the silver bullet that will make ministry or parenting or evangelism work. We get really focused on procedures and the, the bread that we're going to bake. A baking mindset also produces, it can produce, a distorted self-righteousness when we think our programs are working. We start to pat ourselves on the back. Or it can produce the opposite effect, which is despairing too much when we think that we're not getting enough done. I, I think that this baking mindset is why the American church I don't know if it's we're attracting narcissists as our pastors or we're making narcissists out of our pastors. And I'm not trying to say that as like, I'm not one and I've got it all figured out, but all those guys have it. There, there is a way in which we can so emphasize somebody's magnetism or personality or their visionary leader. We need, if we can get the, this kind of visionary leader or someone with this kind of speaking ability, then our church will thrive because we've got this person doing it and leading it and making it happen. And y'all, that, that is a baking mindset. A baking mindset, it also produces utter prayerlessness because we're too busy. We are too busy with all the other things that we have going on, with all the things that we need to do, with all the recipes that we're cooking up. We are too busy to pray and to ask the Lord for help because we're the ones doing it. And what this can ultimately lead to, because I'm, I'm talking to you, Curtis, I'm talking to anyone in ministry, I'm talking to any Christian, what this can lead to is burnout and exhaustion because you're the one doing it. And I really, I really do think that Jesus, he is teaching his disciples something in this story. He is, he's focusing on the people who are going to be leading his church one day. And he's teaching them mercifully that a ministry where you are self-dependent where you are baking your own bread is a ministry that is going to lead to anxiety, to burnout, and to emptiness. 
but we see something else here. We see that Jesus is not going to leave them in this, but instead he's going to show them the abundance that can come from being a beggar. Jesus does what he so often does. He takes what we think is possible. He, think, he takes the way that we think the world works and he just flips it on its head. Philip sees a situation where a massive amount of resources are going to produce a very small impact and Jesus flips that and he takes a very small amount of resources and creates this massive bounty for all of these people who are gathered. Andrew he finds bread. There's five barley loaves and two fish. And when I kind of, before I studied this passage, I imagined the bread was like some beautiful baguette from Central Market or something. You know, like here's five marvelous loaves of bread and two enormous fish that were freshly caught out of the Gulf. That is not what, what this food would have looked like. John makes sure to tell us that. He says it's five barley loaves. Barley loaves were food that poor people ate. And a barley loaf was about the size of like a Twinkie, like tiny. So five small, crumbly, not great tasting pieces of bread. And two small fish, maybe they would have been like sardines, that would have been like for seasoning. This is a boy's lunch that's found. And Jesus takes that small, meager provision and he does what only he can do and creates an abundance out of it. And I, and I really, I said this earlier, but I, I want to make this point clear. I really do think that Jesus is doing this miracle mostly for the disciples. This is the one miracle that all four of the gospel authors made sure to write Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only miracle that all four of them recorded. I think it was very impactful on the disciples because it was aimed at them. It starts, Jesus starts this miracle by testing one of them. He's drawing something out in their hearts. And the, the actual story of John 6 ends with just the disciples. Every, if Jesus was doing this to like gather a big crowd around him, if that was the point of his miracle, then he failed. Because the crowd all left. In fact, at the end of John 6, a lot of people who were Jesus' disciples also leave. And that's when Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and says, are you also going to leave me? And Peter famously says, where, where else would we go? You Only you have the words of eternal life. So I, I really think that Jesus is aiming this miracle at his disciples and what he's doing is he's revealing to them that they are beggars. That left to their own expertise, left to their own devices, that they will not have enough to give people. He's more concerned with shaping his disciples for them to see that they are not bakers, but that they are beggars. And that they are called to serve the bread. Well, how do we serve the bread like that? How do we participate in that kind of ministry? Well, first off, we have to get that we're beggars. We have to see that we are beggars. And that's what the disciples get here. I want you to remember, it's the disciples 
who write the gospel account that we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the disciples who want us to know that they failed the test. Philip wants us to know that, we, that, that he failed the test. Andrew wants us to know that he failed the test. All the disciples want us to know that they failed. And yet what does Jesus do in their failure, in their faithlessness? When Andrew, when Andrew says, you know, he, he might think, well, Andrew's pretty good. I mean, he brought the food, but then after he brings the food, do you hear what he says? What are they for so many? He's not faithful. He doesn't think Jesus is gonna be able to do anything with that. What does Jesus do with that faithlessness? He goes to work. Jesus is the one who's the hero of the story. Jesus is the one who's giving beggars bread and the chief most beggars in this story are the disciples. Jesus still feeds them. He doesn't give up on them. And I want you to think what the disciples' testimony would then begin to sound like as they went and start. These are the men who started the church. Jesus is he's teaching them something about what it means to be in ministry. What would their testimony sound like? It wouldn't sound like the way that we often like to give testimonies in the church. I don't know if you've heard um, someone give a testimony. It's so often the framework or an outline of a testimony can sound like this. I was doing pretty bad. And my life was kind of a mess. But then I found Jesus. And now I'm amazing. (laughs) Now life is great. I'm great. You probably want to be great like me. So Jesus, right? That's how we structure our, our testimony so often. Think about what the disciples' testimony would have sounded like. We, we were a mess, and we still are. We still mess up all the time. I, this is free of charge. In Mark chapter 8, I think this is hilarious. The disciples get in a boat. Look, up, look it up later. This is crazy to me. In Mark 8, after Jesus has fed the 5,000, and after he's fed 4,000, two times he does this. The night after he feeds 4,000, they get in the boat. They only have one piece of bread, and the disciples are like, what are we going to do? I'm not making that up. It's in the Bible. And Jesus, Jesus literally says, do you not yet understand? <laughs> That's their testimony. They just don't get it over and over again. And that shouldn't we share that same kind of testimony? Like, I am a mess. I am a mess. And yet, even though I am a beggar, I have found bread And it's in Jesus. And he's given me grace that I didn't deserve. Come, come and let me just tell you about all the reasons that I need him. I'm not even gonna start with all the reasons you need him. I'm gonna start with all the reasons I need him. Because I'm a sinner and I'm a mess and I'm a wreck. And yet he offers grace to people like me who don't have it all together. I'm a beggar. And I'm just telling you where I found bread. What if our testimony sounded like that? You see, then Jesus would be the hero of our testimonies, not us. And he's the hero. He's the bread. 
In this story, Jesus lets the disciples feel that they are beggars. And he doesn't do this out of spite. He doesn't do this because he's being mean to them. It's actually out of his wisdom and love. Because Jesus doesn't want us to trust in our strength because he knows how how weak our strength actually is. Jesus doesn't want us to minister from our richness and our resources because he knows how impoverished our richness actually is. In his grace, Jesus takes us to the end of our strength and our baking so that we will give up on our own strength. He takes us to the end of our richness so that we won't look to such an impoverished hope. Jesus lets us feel our status as beggars so that our gaze will lift up to where we can find true bread to him. To the one who in verse 15 refuses to be made king because his work isn't yet finished. They wanted to give him the crown, but Jesus knew that his work before receiving the crown was first to go to the cross for faithless disciples who trusted themselves. His work was to purchase the eternal bread of salvation with his life and death. That's why Jesus doesn't let them make him king yet, because he wants to save people, because he's gracious and good because he knows what we need. We need his grace, and he dispenses that grace with joy, and there's plenty of it. The one who had 12 baskets of bread left over is not stingy with his grace. So let's be beggars pointing others where we've found that bread. Curtis, brother, point those students at Rice to where you found bread in Jesus. Point them to his word, which is the bread that he gives us today so that they might see his grace and goodness. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks that you have given us all that we could ever need or even want in your son, Jesus, and that he offers us salvation from our own emptiness, from our sin, from ourselves. Uh, We pray that you would help us uh, to feed on him in our hearts uh, by faith even now as we Uh, prepare to come to the table. And we pray that for Curtis too, uh, that he would be another beggar telling others where he's found bread in you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.